sell older workforce housing assets as the cap rate spreads between class A and class B and C properties converge and fundamentals no longer support buying older assets. And this is why we're swimming upstream to get away from the millions of pop-up syndicators, operators, and the guys that are under $1 billion of assets ownership. Today, we're at $2.1 billion. This is a story about a dude named Lane. Then one day he went and tried to rent them out, and then he became one of the What's up, folks? We are going to be doing the kimono report that I do every quarter, which is going to give you guys an update on you know what's been happening with the economy, what our predictions going forward are, and what we are doing as investors. Now, this is going to be a slightly edited version for public consumption. If you guys want to check out the YouTube version with all the slides and graphics, make sure you check out the YouTube channel. But again, if you guys want the version created for the Hui Duo Pipeline Club members, make sure you sign up at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. Quick form there. It's free. Step out from being a podcast lurker and get to know us. Also, as I've been kind of predicting in 2024, a little bit of a recession happening. We don't know how mild or how strong it's going to be, but check out our thoughts on there that I pulled from other sources and I've kind of synergized all into one big article. You guys can get that at simplepassivecashflow.com, recession 2024. So again, that's simplepassivecashflow.com slash recession 2024. But what do we do, right? We need to rally around each other and get around other accredited investors. And really only our group is the only one out there with such a strong core group. There's a lot of these other groups out there that are with lower net worth, non-accredited investors, or simply internet forms. What we focus on is building real relationships with other people so you guys can get to know each other, especially other accredited investors. We filter the people coming in. If you guys would like to apply to join us in San Diego on June 23rd to 25th, you guys can fill out the form at simplepassivecashflow.com slash stateside. It's going to be a full day of a classroom and networking on Saturday, the Sunday. It's half day. As you guys always know, we always like to do the happy hours and the dinners, you know, good food. And it's going to be in a cool, more secluded type of island environment there in San Diego. So again, check out simplepassacashflow.com slash stateside for more information on that. And a special treat on Sunday on that, I'm trying to arrange a guest to kind of give a talk on, you know, putting this all together. Uh, the other weekend, you know, I went to Fun Factory and I don't normally go to Fun Factory, the local arcade. But if I am forced to go because of some other child's birthday party, because I have to go to my kids' friends' birthday parties these days, I went to Fun Factory and, you know, we get these power card. You know, I know how to game the system whether it's credit card points or rewards hacking or investments. And, you know, what do I do? But I go to the crane machine where I can pick up the ticket reels at 50 or 500 at a time and go there. And a little bit of a concession, I got a little addicted to that thing. And, you know, here I am, I'm not playing with my kid. And I had like, I think 20 games I could play this, but I kept on playing this game and it was really fun and addictive and i was you know getting these tickets you know you pick up the ticket reels and you drop it into the hatch and then you know you you get tickets and my whole idea was hey pick up these tickets so i can buy my daughter something from the redemption center that's actually something good something she would want um i actually did get a thousand tickets doing this but it Here's where I kind of bring it back. So I think a lot of us, what the, what we do is, you know, we work super hard and we're often working long, long hours. We justify it to ourselves that it's for your kids, our family at the end of the day to make multiple six figures at our jobs. But at the end of the day, what is it really that matters? You know, when I'm in Fun Factory, I didn't, I burned up all our money. We didn't have any money to go and have her ride what games she could play. She couldn't play any of the, the arcade games because she's too young for it. There are only like two or three ride the horse game. 
that she could play. And I burned up all the money. I had to, you know, take money out of my own pocket and pay for that, obviously. But as I'm playing this game, trying to get money or tickets for them, I am wasting my time doing that. Of course, I had to use it up, right? I'm not going to waste free games. But in real life, I think all too often, myself and our autonomy of investors that come out to our events, we often have the same problem where we just work too hard and justify it as the means to get money, pick up these tickets, because that is what our family wants and needs to some extent. On the retreat, what we're going to be doing is a little bit of a reflection. We're going to be, I'm going to try to bring in some speakers to talk about that. And then, of course, the, the big powerful thing that we do when we do these retreats, whether it's in Hawaii and this time it's in San Diego, is you know the table topics, getting those conversations going. And that's actually how I kind of trick you guys into interacting with each other. And I call the structured networking. And for those of you guys who've been to our events in the past, um, you guys kind of know what the magic that unfolds of that. So if you guys have not interacted with us, you know, we'd like to you guys to come and see what all the magic is when you finally get around other professional types of hardworking folks trying to go from a million dollars to $10 million net worth. Um, hope to see you in San Diego. Again, that URL is simplepassivecashflow.com slash stateside. And we hope to see you there. And here is the edited version of the quarterly Open the Kimono Report. All right. So welcome to the quarterly Open the Kimono Report, where I attempt to go over what's been happening in the market, a little bit about trending from quarter to quarter. Let's get into it. So a little bit state of the market here. Multifamily transaction is pretty slow. If you've been living under a rock, let me catch you up. What's been happening? Interest rates skyrocketed middle of last year and the buyers couldn't buy anything because they couldn't qualify. So prices maybe came down 10, 15% across the board. And still we are at this price discovery mark. This obviously went on for a couple of quarters. And now you're starting to see a bunch of capital calls due to higher interest rates, even if the properties remain strong. Deals that I would say probably got out of the gate and got a bunch of units renovated and were stabilized for a couple of years. Those are pretty much all safe. It's the ones that were still in the harbor, as I call it, and had that floating rate debt attached to it, which a lot of deals were in middle of 2021 and after, which also happened to be the deals that didn't have the time to stabilize, are the ones that are seeing these small, slight capital calls on. Still, I guess investors probably upset about that. You build your model a certain way, right? Where you assume that your expenses are going up incrementally, but combo in this with stagflation, which is increased expenses. You, that's where you see cash reserves dry up along with distributions. But all in all, we'll get through this in the next couple of years and then eventually sell off, maybe probably beating Performa. And then all will be forgotten I'll be going much more into that in detail throughout the presentation. Number three here, season. we're starting to see some seasonal softening, which is always in quarter one. And start to go through in the summertime as a lot of these assets are coming in a good time, right? When that summertime lease is coming up. My mission at SimplePassiveCashflow.com is to help hardworking individuals like you do what I did, which was leave a professional career behind by building an investment portfolio where the passive income exceeded my daily expenses. It frustrates me that there are so many people out there mindlessly investing in Roth, IRA, 401k, mutual funds, or worse, going through a useless financial planner who is just selling retail and financial products. Here's the problem. There are multiple middlemen taking a cut of your returns, all the while you take all the rest. In our community, we spend a little bit of effort to educate ourselves and build organic relationships with other past investors to source the best off-market opportunities, all while enjoying higher returns and better security because the asset that you purchased is a real hard asset, not some kind of fake stuff like a crypto or altcoin. The trifecta is simple. Number one, syndications to get number two, passive losses to unlock other tax best practices. And thirdly, infinite banking. Join our network for more insider access and educational material at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. And also sign up for a free strategy call once you're in there. Enter our ecosystem. So if you did come out to Hawaii on our annual investor retreat, you'd be able to develop those relationships with the right people. To check out future events, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash events. And we'll see you in person. 
and this other concept of Slack coming out of the system. Everything shut down in 2020 with the pandemic. I can't remember exactly, but I believe it was like maybe a couple quarters later, the world started to get back into the swing of things. People started to spend a lot of money because there was a lot of pent up demand. There was a huge increase in spending. Rents skyrocketed at that point. And you can see a summary here up to my right side here of what was happening specifically about rents. Some places there was double digit rent growth. Now what you're seeing is some of that slack coming out of the system and we're getting back to more steady state, right? That low single digit rent increases per year. I would say the last quarter, we probably saw a little bit of stagnation in the rents, even in good strong markets. But now I would say confidently as of last month, we're starting to see things get back to normal. So that's good news. Fundamentals still remain strong, except in areas with affordability issues and oversupply. And that's why we target specific areas in the United States. Also, the 10-year treasury at the bottom of the range, and which signals the Fed may pause soon with raising interest rates. Um, the U.S. single home stat starts, which led the macro economy for three to four quarters, are currently declining and are expected to start a recovery around the middle of this year, which is... I think exactly why we want to start building projects now so we can get before this crowd that goes out to build and then goes to market in the next year or two once they've completed their projects. I mean, you don't want to be the person late, right? You don't want to sit around waiting for clear blue skies two years from now or one year from now and then come out to market in 2026, 2027. You're going to get out much later than others. And then finally here, many homeowners have been put in golden handcuff mode. And I hear this from a lot of investors, right? You're like, I locked in a 2.9, 3% mortgage. And that not always the best situation, right? Because you sophisticated investors here know you have to look at it from a return equity standpoint, not just that you own a good mortgage. That really doesn't mean anything. But for the lay person out there, they look at it that way, right? It's golden handcuffs to them that they bought a house and they're not going to go into a new mortgage, even if the house housing prices have come down. And that's going to further be, a, be another headwind for the residential home markets. But I think to summarize the rent increases, which really impact us, the interest rents were stagnant for their first quarter, but things are starting to get back to back to normal, that low single digit increase there. Here's a little bit data from Remax. Um, this is more the residential side. Doesn't really impact too much on the commercial, but a lot of people are interested in this stuff. So I throw it in here. Homes sold in January were on the market an average 12 to 13 days longer than a year ago. So that's days of market indicator of demand and supply too. There is always been very historically low supply over the last, let's say five years at least. But you're seeing all the forecasts for residential stuff coming back up 2024, 2025. So if you're looking to sell your house or move into the next one, now might be a good time to do that. Some, so this is talking about some Sunbelt markets, Dallas, Fort Worth, Phoenix, Austin markets are, ex are expected to lead additions this year. Common theme and very similarly across the Southeast too. And also about is in migration driven by robust white collar job creation. Normally, the workforce is expected to expand. So this should bolster investor confidence, especially if you're picking the right areas of the country, which at least we try to do that. Here's some numbers from occupancy across the nation, right? This is not indicative of particular markets or more especially sub-markets. And that's why when you read any of these kind of national statistics, you can take it one way or the other. But just wanted to set the general pulse of the nation here. The occupancy rate is still pretty good. It says down 70 bips, but that's pretty insignificant in the grand scheme of things. Effective rate rent is still going up 3.3. That's inflation right there. And then rent share of wallet. This is going up. Normally, what you like to see in Landlord 101 is like one, no more than one third of tenants 
income to support the rent or mortgage. I think bankers use the same type of rule nationally, 23% getting up to a quarter there. And I would probably say that trend is going to be moving more on the higher end in the future. Who knows, by the end of my lifetime, that'll be up to maybe 30%, 40%, ooh, the knowledge. But I would be willing to be betting that's the direction it goes. Some more employment trends. We'll talk more about this. Unemployment is pretty damn low, right? Which is a little bit of a head scratcher if you're thinking that the Fed is trying to destruct the government, destruct the economy on purpose right now. And then obviously sales trends are low, which is exactly why now is not the time to be selling if you don't have to be. A little bit of a national focus here. Here are some of the top markets. Not saying that these are all the markets, but these are mostly the secondary and larger markets. Top 10 markets up there on the top right screen. You guys can take a look at it there. And then here is rent growth. So the past one was inventory growth, which may... You can look at this two ways. This is where new stuff is being built. So this is where the, the smart players, the smart money, the institutions, they're doing their research as best as they can, probably a lot better than us. And this is where a lot of inventory coming online. And that's just one thing, but there's also a lot of inventory coming online too. So that can also mean more competition. This is really, I think, what is more to look at. These are the top where the rents are increasing the most. This is just at the snapshot in time here. I would say and maybe discount some of the West Coast action because that, there was a lot of sloshing back and forth. San Francisco got killed in that time. And now it's that slack back, right? Like I mentioned at the top, there's this common theme of the slack coming right back. And then I think it's been bounced back once or twice already. And now we're starting to see steady state from this point out. Another using that same idea same thing too is the delinquency and evictions right when the pandemic came out the evictions weren't allowed and then summer i mean i'm sure this is why i do this every quarter because sometimes i forget because i'm so ingrained in it but i would believe somewhere around 2021 they said all right you can you can start evicting bad tenants it took half a year at least for these things to go through the court process. So in late 21, summer of 22 is when you really start to see the delinquency jump up. And then over the next quarter or two, it started to go down. And now we're starting to see it get back to sort of steady state here. Employment across the nation, the weakest unemployment gains were concentrated in the central region of the United States, while the strongest gains were in the West and southeast regions of the country. Texas led the states in GDP growth up 4.4%. On average, states in the southeast and the southwest had the strongest year-over-year -year growth with states in the northeast and midwest inc increased the most modestly. So this is exactly why we invest in the states of Arizona, Texas, Florida, Alabama. And generally, the, again, like you guys have heard this many times, people are generally moving from the colder states up north, not only for climate, but for pro-economy. And they're moving to the Sunbelt states, except Louisiana, of course, right? Nobody really likes Louisiana. And then there's another thing going on there, hurricanes with the Gulf states. But where we also keep that in mind, where we also invest. Permits is another indicator similar to like developments coming online. Permits are likely to decline in the coming months and quarters as consumer contend with high prices and interest rates, which is exactly why we see a opportunity to take advantage of this general decrease in competition. Here's the slide that I keep updating for folks. Just updated it recently. And right now we're hovering around 5%. This sort of puts... All the interest rate hike campaigns historically on top of each other. And it really shows you how unprecedented this 2022 barrage of hawkish rate increases compares with the other times in history. And, you know, how we're really not only, I mean, it's probably the top one or two highest rent increases, but it's the top how quickly it got there. Infl and an inflation date, at one point, we're sitting at 9.1% in June of 2022. That this is what triggered these hawkish rate increases. Since then, the Fed has been systematically increasing interest rates. I think they've been annoyed by all the SVP, First Republic Bank stuff, which was not, which was more of an isolated incident. But Fed has to contend with what the general public perception is. And even with that, in the way they still raise rates through it all. 
employment data is strong, low unemployment rate, which to me is a head scratcher. That's the only thing that I'm like, man, I wish unemployment was a little bit higher. And they say layoffs in public companies could be a leading indicator, slowing economy with strong labor market. And that's going to be the narrative that people are going to be seeing throughout this year into next year. And I'm calling, at least from all the publications I read, which I don't watch YouTube videos. And if you are, you're going to probably going to go crazy watching YouTube videos, like a bunch of bogus stuff out there. But if you watch industry newsletters and publications, 2024 is slated as a recession. That it's not a debacle of the economy or anything like this. This is all pre-planned and premeditated by the Fed by increasing these interest rates. The only uncertainty is how long they're, how long they're going to keep the interest rates where they're at. Previously, they drop them real quick within, I would say, half half a year. They're probably going to leave it there a little bit longer. And then we don't know the full extent of the destruction of the economy. And I say that not in a doom and gloom way, but that's what they're specifically trying to do by increasing interest rates by, and therefore cooling down inflation. And their overall goal is to keep the economy from having these bipolar highs and lows, keeps things in the middle. Here's some other expert opinions. These pretty much align with a lot of this stuff. I don't really track commodities, but some of you guys like to track commodities. So I threw that in there. I'm, I've been worried about interest rates, looking at that every day since like June of 2022. And then to me, it really does seem like there is a light at the end of the tunnel. May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, we'll see what they do there. Probably a quarter point increase. And then June, they'll do it again. And we'll see if there's another one after that. But I think that the light is at the end of the tunnel and the Fed taking their foot off the interest rate gas pedal. Long-term interest rates are likely to generally lower in 2023 with more pronounced decline in the second half of the year as the economy heads into the 2024 recession. So there's a bit of slack and delay here. Fed raises rates and then six months later, a year later, then you have the repercussions of that that in effect. Unfortunately for us investors and real estate operators, when you're in, I would say maybe 10% of the deal, 15% of the deals are in these floating rate term arrangements. But we'll talk specifically about those deals, how we've mitigated it with rate caps and that type of stuff, which is an insurance product. But I think that's the long-term picture looks really good. It's just protecting the assets in the intermediary. And part of that is being conservative with cash flow and just bolstering cash reserves at this point with, again, 2024 will be a recession, in my opinion. And I'll bet people some money on that, about people 100 bucks on that, not serious money. But I would, in all seriousness, I would say, hey, if you got money in the stock market, I wouldn't have any money in there. I don't have any money in the stock market right now, personally. It's all in hard assets. And I've done this since the beginning of my investing. It's like stocks, they don't make any sense to me. When things, recession's coming, you get your money into real hard assets, such as real estate. Unfortunately, I think what a lot of people under $1 or $2 million net worth are going to do is they're going to hear it and go to cash. And then at that point, you will lose about 5% of your money to inflation. I had one... I just wanted to dedicate one slide to all the bank failure SVB stuff. I wanted to speak about it, but it is not a leaning indicator for a recession. It was quite honestly not very smart move by these specific banks because they were just investing in the wrong investments. They should have had somebody who actually knew or the problem is they didn't have their the right person at the helm. I think the risk management officer was vacant that position, but they should have known that those types of T-bills that they were buying were not a good investment. They should have just went with the shorter ones or diversify. But anyway, that's I'm not going to speak too much about it because I just have a loose understanding, but anybody on the outside could understand what's, what was going on. And they had way too many depositors over the $250,000 limit. Doesn't really impact our operations and we get, but I get it. Investors, a lot of investors get a lot really worried. <laughs> These are the type of headlines that the mainstream media uses to scare the living crap out of people and read their next article. But this is not a systemic issue. And I'll take that quote from the Fed too. 
this is more of an isolated incident. And if the lessons learned are don't put more than $250,000 in a bank, but we also, we bank with Chase and Bank of America. We don't mess around with these smaller banks unless we have to. Um, and you guys can read this little synopsis on it. I'm not going to, I don't want to spend too much more time on it because to me, it's not really a huge, it was more of a black swan event that kind of happened that doesn't really impact us too much. Although it does, it helps the PEF fund actually, helps the PEF fund puzzling because now the banking system is probably going to, the kids messed it up. So now the, the government has to create more regulations. So it makes it harder for banks to profit. So therefore they have to increase their prices, pass along to the consumer. So therefore private funding options like the PEP fund become much more valuable options for people. Um, but let's get back to emerging trends in real estate. And this is again, what I think the important stuff is folks, right? Like housing affordability has fallen to its lowest level in the last 30 years. Prices and rents have soared and people's affordability, which is like a composite between what they're, what people can afford for monthly rent based on the interest rates has skyrocketed. There's chronic undersupply of housing. And when you include in there limit new supply, increased construction costs due to inflation, man, this just does not hold a good picture for people who are on the, the wealth building journey under a million dollars. But most of us are accredited and sophisticated enough to help our kids out and navigate these waters. So... <clears throat> It is what it is. I'm not here to change the world. I'm just here to find some other people that see the world for what it is and understand that this world is going to become more of a nation of renters unless there's going to be severe government regulation coming in and changing things. And then there was like that headline that came out a couple of weeks ago where, again, the media being the media, they're like saying that they're, people who have good credit scores are going to subsidize the people with lower credit scores in some way, which made for a great frenzy in the media, but it wasn't exactly the case. But who knows if that stuff will happen in the future. But for now, this is exactly why with the growing demand for workforce housing, this is why I invest in this type of stuff. Here are different type of apartments and housing put on a map, senior housing, I wouldn't pay too much about student housing, senior housing. There's many reasons why I'm not a huge fan of that. And I'm not ready to jump into Caesar housing in this next decade. I want to see it. Yeah, there's so many like senior housing operators. And it makes a lot, it makes it for a great sales presentation to buy into as a training program that people do all day. But yeah, like as an operator, yeah, that's a heavy lift. What I would be keying in on is this light green single rental family rental, the workforce housing apartments, which is the pink and the high income apartment. Let's follow this one by one. So the single family is a light green that has peaked and come down a little bit. And again, I think the residential markets are suffering right now because people, average people are really impacted by interest rates. So is the commercial world, right? You know, like the, the, the common person out there is a lot more impacted by interest rates, therefore affordability. And what I would say, hey, take a look at the high income apartments, which is your high end luxury stuff versus your moderate workforce housing apartments. And then also look at this lower apartment income apartments. These are your more your class B or class C assets, right? To, and if you're looking at this, and this is emerging trends in real estate surveys, that, that moderate workforce housing apartment has outperformed the high-end luxury and the low-end slumlord type. And this is, this is explaining why people are choosing more and more to rent. It's not like they're choosing, guys. They don't have money. And that's 67% of the surveys of the participants. That's how many people here have rental properties? Not that many because you guys all understand the liability and the pain to run rental properties, but so, yeah, I, my tenant really would love to buy our house. We want to work out a deal. And I always say, all right, well, what's your credit score? That ain't going to happen, right? How many people want to own a house? Everybody, how many can afford it? Nobody. But you also include these other long, long-term transitions and the way people live, people needing to move around for their jobs, being a lot more flexible, waiting for marriage, people delaying family creation. It all paints this picture of nation of renters in the future. But that's the economy in a nutshell. Maybe it's a lot of the stuff you've heard before. Here's a little bit of what 
I'm personally doing within our investment community to um, this next quarter. Some of this we've talked about in the past, but first thing here is sell older workforce housing assets as the cap rate spreads between class A and class B and C properties converge and fundamentals no longer support buying older assets. Of course, this is not going to be done in the next quarter or maybe in the next year, but our mind has been made up like once the business plan is implemented, a lot of the projects that we thought were going to hold on for four, five, six years, probably going to just sell it probably in the next few years. And then this is also the flip in our switch in our head where the per unit cost of building a brand new property, and we're going to be talking about a few of these developments here in the part two of this webinar, is about maybe 10, 20% more expensive than buying a 50, 60 year old class B building. At one point, I told everybody, yeah, workforce housing built 1950s, 1960s, and 1980s, put a little look stuff on the pig. Great business plan, right? It is. Trouble is, everybody and their mother thinks that they can do it because they join some silly boot camp or pay $50,000 to a guru who just tells them the same thing that everybody else does. And the prices creep up and creep up. And then, like I said, they're buying this stuff for, I think they're buying like, like in Dallas, they're buying this stuff for like 150000 a unit where you can build the same damn thing, but 50, 60 years newer. You're going to 50, 60 years more run life with lower operational expenses because the thing is brand near new and pretty much zero CapEx to do. And then you could just buy it, build it brand new for 10, 20%. And, and the bad thing is not everybody can do it. The good thing is not everybody can do it. And that's something that we can do and we've done it in the past. And this is why we're swimming upstream to get away from the millions of pop-up syndicators, operators, you know, the guys that are under $1 billion of assets under ownership. We're at today, we're at $2.1 billion. And I think that's the viewpoint from our group is let's keep swimming upstream. And I, that's something I've been very maybe unapologetic, I guess, about is like I continue to change the investment thesis. There was a long time ago in 2016 when I thought turnkey rentals was the jam. Obviously, my mind has changed, right? But part of this is just, I think when you just like when you're under a million dollars net worth or when you're just starting out, the only thing you can do is buy those single family home rental properties. But as you move along this journey, the strategies change. And especially for like most investors today in our group, you guys save 50, 100, $200,000 a year from your day jobs. You don't plan to quit your day jobs right away. Therefore, why do you really need cash flow every single month? Some for specific reasons, right? I mean, definitely special cases. And that's why we have the preferred equity plus fund for that to pay monthly distributions on that. But most investors say the paltry 6% of cash flow on these apartments, I don't really need that. That's not changing my life one bit. Once you're in four or five deals and you see those checks coming back, you realize how insignificant that is. And you rather go for the higher equity bumps in the developments, which also is a quicker turnaround. So you get that velocity of money there. But anyway, going back to number two, protecting our assets from predatory and conservative banks looking to cut risks from their balance sheet. So this is a, a threat that has appeared in, I would say two couple of deals on the, throughout the portfolio. It's happened in the past and we've moved away from about the lender when it does pop up, but it's something that you can't really protect. It just happens. And with like economic uncertainty coming up for a bank to get code feed and really start to ramp up their compliance checks to a point where it's, dude, we can move on and get another lender, get to that point. And it's, but I want to be careful here. I often am just too transparent with you guys and I freak most of you guys out. So if you're like one of those people, don't worry about it. It is not a huge issue. And this is our job to manage the relationships with the banks and, and bring in the lawyers at that point and hash the stuff out behind the scenes. Just as passive investors, don't worry about this. After all, we're the ones that are signing on the debt. We have much more skin in the game than you guys on this type of stuff. But positioning our assets in case something like this would happen by either putting in rate caps or moving lenders or just holding more cash reserves in case the bank does ask, for additional escrow fund. I'll use one for, one for example. 
this particular asset is in a, it's doing great. Probably one of the better ones out there, but the bank is a small, small community bank and they just are getting cold feed. And I get it. I know exactly what the little bank manager is thinking. Like their boss's boss probably told him, Hey, go look at our 20 loans, only 20 loans that they have and just try and mitigate our risks. What that means they don't know, the bank manager doesn't know, but one way it always manifests out is additional escrow funds held in their clutches within their bank to make them feel better. But all in the life of multifamily or commercial real estate operation, something we want to protect about. Number three here, starting to see some stability on the capital markets, although the interest rates have been skyrocketed, right? And that really shot up the prices of rate caps, almost like 300x. Normally, um, where that number comes from, I think in some of the beginning, we looked at these when we're buying these rate caps several years ago, it'd be like 50 grand. And now it's like on the magnitude of two to two to $3 million for the rate cap. Um, but despite the Fed keep increasing interest rates, the volatility has come down and thus creating a perhaps brief window coming in for lower interest rates and a buying period, a buying window amongst the seller's window amongst the buyer's market. So that's coming on the horizon as far as the big one, stagflation. What is stagflation? Like I mentioned, rents have been relatively flat these past few quarters. They're still growing, right? But not double-digit rent growth post-pandemic. And then you combine this with inflation. Inflation was pretty much double digits for a couple of years, eating into profits that resulted in cash flow and decreased cash flow and distributions. More specifically, uh, most notably, like on the, the blow up the PL sheet, right? The profit and loss sheet. And if you guys really want to know what a PL sheet, well, you guys can go down my old analyzer at simplepassivecashflow.com slash analyzer. There's that spreadsheet there and you can see all the little expenses. Great way to look at this. But one of those is the insurance costs. Insurance costs have skyrocketed over the last couple of years, partly because inflation, but also because of the country has been rocked by unusually high hurricanes. From a statistician point of view, we're seeing insurance costs go up two to three X. I'm hearing some operators, we don't have properties in these areas, but like the Gulf states, they can't even get insurance. So some of those guys are rolling without insurance and they're actually self-insuring with a pool of their buddies, which is crazy to me. But this is why we've always stuck to Huntsville, Alabama, places well north in Jacksonville, Florida, not in that hurricane alley areas. Certainly not Louisiana, right? But yeah, that has skyrocketed. Payroll costs have also increased. Anybody who owns a business, you guys know how that has gone up by 10, 20%. That's just inflation right there, if anything. Insurance costs. So renew recent renewals came in for a lot of these, these professional services and then taxes, right? Because the prices of properties went up a couple of years ago, 2019, 2020, 2021. And then the push then it gets recorded in the tax assessor's office. There's about a year or two lag in those tax assessed values hitting. And we accounted for a lot of this stuff to some extent, but for a lot of just the more general things, we account for 2 to 3% rent escalators every year. But when you have inflation that is three to four times that much, maybe in five times that much, that is what results in less cash flow. And you combine that with the fact that this kind of this last bullet point I have here, we are anticipating a recession in 2024. If you've got stock stocks or mutual funds or things in the paper asset world, watch out. But as far as I'm concerned, we'll be glad that we were in these workforce housing assets once 2024 goes, runs its course, because this is what holds its value and we can be value at. We're rather adding in the process anyway. We're not really ready to go to market yet on a lot of these assets. So it's a good time for this all to happen. Yeah. Playing it conservative the next few years and focusing on the original business plan of adding value to the asset and then selling at or still above performa. Ultimately, the cash flow along the way may not be here, but we tend to put it back into the asset or cash reserves on standby, just if ready for a more hard 2024 recession. If it's a hard recession, then 
I feel pretty confident and that the people in the luxury stuff, they move down to the B's, the B's move down to C's. We're in that to catch the people as they move down. So I sent the survey out, out last week. I got 109 responses. So there's still time for you guys to win a free shirt. They will, will announce the winners at the end of the month. But I think 109 respondents is pretty dang good for you guys to get a sense of what people are thinking about there out within our group. So this is a describe your overall feeling of the market. Most people pick 72% pick this red one, which was let's be selective, but let's continue to reinvest was the prompt. The next option was 19% said, let's be aggressive here is in the streets. A lot more of you guys want are pushing for this like rescue fund, I feel like, which I'm a little hesitant. If in the next six months, I'm primarily looking for this type of deal, which this one looked pretty. The only majority here was this blue one. So the pref equity, yeah. And then the other prevalent one was the equity position in heavy value add or development. So yeah, so development. So I think people are hearing what I'm saying and understanding that if you're looking for risk and ups and down roller coasters with delinquencies, that's what the multifamily value add stuff. Let's leave it to those guys in those multifamily guru camps, training people how to do this stuff. And we're in reality, all they're doing is stealing their 50 grand, in my opinion, just why I don't teach it. But yeah, here's some of you cowboys out there the green one, you guys, those, you guys are the ones asking for this rescue capital fund. Oh, I don't know. Here's what I say. I guess I get it. And maybe that's just a portion of your guys' asset allocation mix because you're going to put the rest in the pet fund or T-bills. But man, like, why not just do one third in the pet fund and then two, another third in developments and call it good? Like, why do you need more? My net worth is over 1 million. I want to implement infinite banking. So not many of you guys know about, there's 40% of you guys that have not heard about infinite banking. Check out the infinite banking e-course members.simplepassivecashflow.com slash courses slash banking, which by the way, the member site is back up. There was like a plugin that was broken because the developer didn't update it. So we're actually fixing that and we're going to be moving, migrating everything to a brand new learn management system which kind of makes me a little sad because the members.simplepassivecashflow website was something I made five years ago. And I was really happy because it was like a cheaper way of using WordPress in a super clever way. And I was saving a lot of money. But again, this is just me learning. Don't be cheap and looking for this, that kind of cost-effective solution. So I'm going to be going after buying this bigger platform and that's where we'll put all the e-courses. So a lot of that is in the works later on in the year. Are you accredited? Most people are. It's 85%. We got some orange people here that don't know. But yeah, our group is mostly accredited these days. And this is where I'm going to swap in the... So this is actually... So I started this other spreadsheet last quarter. And the reason where it came about was this is... We're going to be talking from this column right here is... I live and breathe this stuff every single day. And sometimes I like lose track of time, literally. And months become days and days become months. And a lot of this is investing. There is an element of emotion and distress and uncertainty. And I wanted to somehow encapsulate what did I think this quarter versus last quarter and quarters before based on where unemployed these these first five roles are, which are unemployment, GDP, CPI, federal reserve rate here. So if these are like the black and white facts. These are just, I inputted it in here. These next two lines are a little bit of subjective. So this is just me testing myself, if any. And this is on a scale of one to 10, where's my uncertainty level with the economy? And as you can see, last quarter was a seven. I feel a little bit better than last quarter. But as far as stocks, stock market stuff, I'm still just as bearish as I was last quarter. As far as people like this, the strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, the things that are going good right now is similar to last quarter, unemployment low as low, rents continue to climb on the multi-year outlook after a few months of stagnation. 
and then bank earnings are strong. So the reason why I threw that in there is the banks are doing pretty well. Like you look at Arbor, JP Morgan, the banking industry is pretty strong. And that's why it's for me, it's really frustrating that you see like the banks pulling these stunts and looking down their balance sheet and getting ready for the worst. I get it. That's their business. But come on, guys. It's not like you guys aren't making money here. Like Things are good in your guys' business. You need the customers. And the customers are us, the, you know, the commercial operators, the big borrowers like that. It is what it is. Maybe when I'm rich one day, I, don't, I won't, will never use a bank. In fact, I won't go there. But something that we talk about in like the family office group for when your net worth is over 10 million is... You don't get mortgages. Mortgages are some of the worst debt you can get because you have to pay these lenders so much origination fees. In fact, you get a whole bunch of stocks or assets and you borrow against yourself. Similarly, how you do your infinite banking. The infinite banking is a lead up step that people will use to bank from themselves and cut out those banks. So weaknesses I see out there, we've got one or two more interest rate hikes coming in May and June. We don't know how long it's going to stay there. And then more of the same media starting to cover some layoffs in tech and white collar job markets, some markets having a tad more vacancy and rent dips from high. One of those like Oklahoma City is struggling, San Antonio, I see some struggle there, right? Some of the markets that were seeing signs of the next emerging markets, those markets are seeing the dips a little bit. Nothing doom and gloom there, but just starting to see some of that opportunities. Inflation is coming down. It's like almost half of what it was. And then the single unit home starts, which has led the macro economy for three to four quarters are currently being declined and are expecting to start a recovery around the middle of this year. So this is where I see a great opportunity. If you can get started on your project, which is what we're trying to do, so we can get it to the contractor so you can start building. So when everything goes through their 2024 slowdown, we can be actually not complaining and sitting there on our butts, but actually moving dirt around and building properties while that happens. Threats and black swans. And so threats and black swans, what are they? So these are things that are always present out there. More times than not, you never see them. This is like Kim Jong-un blowing us up pre-2020. And then you never heard about it because it just went away. I don't know what made it go away. But these are the things that the media likes to screw around with us, kind of playing these scenarios out. And I think if you see it for what they are, BS, right? And you recognize that they're always going to be there and they likely never happen. And they're always an element out there. But also when they do happen, like a pandemic, you understand that it's no weakness of the machine or the system or the economy. You need to recognize the BS for what it is and then confidently go in when there's fear in the streets. But the current black swans that's happening out there are the Russia-Ukraine war escalating, the same as last quarter. But now they said like in April that there was going to be a reload of the Russian military and escalation of the violence. I'm just saying that these are the narratives out there. If anybody's got a good narrative, put it into the question and answer. Maybe I'll put it on there. These are just things that I'm aware of. Interest rates break real estate bridge loans. There's a storyline out there saying that there's a whole bunch of these loans coming due and the banks aren't going to renew them. Not the case with us, right? We've just renewed a couple of them these last couple months. The next one is the banking system is going to be debacle, right? And probably because of the SVP and the that type of stuff, the bank failures, which again... I don't really see personally because it wasn't systemic, but it's a narrative out there. The crypto operation choke point 2.0. You guys can Google what that one's all about. And then to me, I think the one black swan that I think is more in play is the interest rates now. To some extent, you're trying to poison the economy so it doesn't get too hot. You don't want to put too much poison right? And hurt it harder and turn the 2024 recession into a harder recession than it needs to be. Interest rate heights are not reversed for more than a year, right? Like in previous times, they increase the interest rates and drop it right away. And in this case, you don't know how long they're going to keep it to where it's at. But as far as what I mentioned in the last screen, like what is our operational focus? There are concerns and worries. What are the worries are things we can't have no control over, like the black swans? Worries concerns are the things that we have control over that we're going to proactively focus on. 
which is focus on preferred equity, not common equity in the right situations, and just put our head down the development pipeline so we can get six months to two years ahead of the competition, waiting on their institutional funding to get lined up, and then continue to work the assets as best as we can, just focusing on doing a lot of work and value add within the current portfolio. And there's a lot in the current portfolio. And this is what we'll talk more specifically in part two. And then the last thing here, if you guys haven't interacted with myself or the team, we'd like to get to know you a little bit better. And it gives you a chance to interact with other passive investors within the community. We're going to be in San Diego for a couple day retreat, June 23rd to 25th. For more information, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash state side. Other than that, we're opening up a couple opportunities every month. One for new investor education webinars every third Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. So I'll probably open up the webinar and go through the syndication e-course or a particular topic, field question and answers for this is great for like newer investors and even more advanced investors if you guys want to ask some harder questions. The signups are on the members portal. This will be a monthly basis. And then, of course, we've been doing the first Saturday of every month, office hours, open deal questions, points. And then if we usually get to that pretty quickly. And then at that point, if you guys have any questions about, hey, which, which of my rental properties should I sell? What's my tax mitigation strategy? Or just a little bit of whoever shows up, usually we have a smaller crowd. So it's, it's a little bit more intimate and you guys can ask more personal questions or asking a question from a friend. Great opportunity for you guys to do that. But th those are two revolving webinars. Again, the first Saturday of the month and the third Saturday of the month at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for more. If you can't leave your house and you're stuck at home, but yeah, if we haven't interacted yet, men in person, hopefully you guys can make it to the stateside retreat in San Diego, June 23rd to 25th.